Hi, my name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. So today we are continuing our series called Act Justly. And we've been exploring in this series what it means for us as followers of Jesus to live out justice in our lives, why this is important. And so today we're going to be talking about the relationship between the gospel message of Jesus and justice and why these two things are so deeply linked together. And so when we talk about this, when I talk about gospel, what I mean is I'm talking about the good news of Jesus, the message that Jesus came to gave to us, that Jesus stepped into the world and through his sacrifice, through his life, through the resurrection, gives us a path to God. That Jesus makes way a new, a possible for us to have a relationship with God that was not available before Jesus came. And that good news is what motivates us to share the message of Jesus with the world. And so when we talk about justice, we're talking about the human right that everyone has to be treated with dignity and respect. The right that everyone has to be treated with honor, to be treated fairly. That is something that every human being has and should have. In the world. And so, what we're talking about today is that connection between justice and the gospel. And one of the things that's so critical to understand about justice is that everyone deserves justice. It's not something that is earned or achieved. By our very nature of just being alive, every person deserves justice. And so, in the series, we started by talking about ancient Israel. And we started talking about some of the historical pieces of justice in Scripture. And we're going to pick that up today by moving to the New Testament. And as we go through this today, what I hope we'll see and we'll understand together is that for those of us who follow Jesus, seeking justice is an integral part of our faith. This is part of who we are as followers of Jesus. And so if we go all the way back to ancient Israel, if we go all the way back to the very beginnings of our Old Testament, Genesis 12 begins with God calling Abram and giving him a promise. And this promise that God gives to Abram is that one day all the families on earth would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. And so a few chapters later in Genesis 15, God creates a covenant with Abraham. And he gives this promise to Abraham that this is what God's going to do. And as we talked about in the second week of this series, that the ancient Israelites were not able to maintain their covenant promises. They were not able to do what the law said, what God called them to do. And so we saw through ancient Israel's history how all the attempts that they made to live out justice through their covenants were failing. And eventually that led to the nation of Israel being split in half, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And then that leads to the time period of the second exile that we talked about in week two of this series. But it leads to this question. What does God do when the covenants he made were broken and injustice starts to flourish? What does God do when this promise that he gave to Abraham is under threat because of the way the world has taken those covenant promises and broken them? What does God do? And so for those of us who may have a faith background or grew up in the church or have been part of this church for a while, we might know this already, but we know that God himself chooses to step into the story of humanity, to come into the world to create a new covenant. 
And so we're going to pick up the story today in the Gospel of John. John is the the last of the four accounts of Jesus' life that we have in the New Testament. And John begins his Gospel with this prologue, this kind of grand setting to set the stage for the story he's about to tell about Jesus. And partway in, John puts it this way. He says, God sent a man, John the Baptist. Now, that's not the John that's writing this. It's John the disciple that's writing this. But John the Baptist was sent to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. But the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And so this true light that's coming into the world is God himself steps into the world as Jesus Christ to teach, to lead, and to make a new covenant with humanity. John, the disciple, as he's writing this, knows that people are right away going to start asking questions. Well, what about the law that God gave to Moses? What about the old covenants? What about that? And so John adds this just a couple verses later. He says, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. And that description that he gives, the unfailing love and faithfulness, is a big part of the gospel message of what God came to do when he stepped into the world. And so the other thing John's doing here is he's actually making a contrast between the law of Moses is being contrasted with God's unfailing love and faithfulness. Now, the law was an example of love and faithfulness on God's behalf, but the people were not able to follow it and hold to it so that it could become what it was meant to be. And so, over time, the law became legalism. And the law became more and more strict as they tried to figure out, well, how do we follow this? How do we live this out? And so the religious leaders, and then a group that came along later known as the Pharisees, they had good intentions. But what they did is they turned God's law into burdensome rules that prevented justice. They turned it into all these rules upon rules upon rules of what you could and couldn't do. And so when Jesus comes into the world, when Jesus comes and he starts to teach, he starts speaking against the legalism. He starts speaking against the way that they have turned the law into a burden. They use the term a yoke, like what an oxen would have across its shoulders to pull a plow. God points out that that the yoke of the Pharisees and the religious leaders is just too heavy. It has become too much. And we saw that when we talked also in the series about how when Jesus goes to the temple and he sees at the court of Gentiles that there's all these money changers and industry and capitalism happening in the temple courtyard. And Jesus comes back the next day and he flips their tables and he kicks them out and says, this is not the purpose of the temple. This was the one part of the temple that outsiders, people who were not Jews by birth or um, were able to come in and be at the temple. And so Jesus kicks them out because of how they have turned God's law into a burden upon the people. Now, John has one more thing in his prologue that he wants to point out. And he points this out when he says this at the end. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one, referring to Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. John is setting up his gospel with this prologue saying that when you see Jesus in this gospel, in this recording of his life, you are seeing God being revealed to you. 
And that has a really profound effect on how we see how Jesus interacts. Because how Jesus interacted with people is how God wants to interact with humanity. And so if you see how Jesus interacts with people through the Gospels, he goes to the outcasts, he goes to the people who were downtrodden, the people who were cast out, he heals the sick, he feeds the hungry, he speaks against the religious leaders and the way that they have created burdens upon the people. Because what Jesus is doing is demonstrating the way that God wants to interact with us. A relationship of care, a relationship of nurturing, a relationship where God is with us. And so what Jesus did when he lived out this radical level of compassion and love is when he treated people with this radical level of equality and justice, he was revealing the hypocrisy and the oppression of the religious leaders and the Pharisees in the first century. Jesus, in the way he treated people, gave them equality, gave them justice. He gave them a voice when they had no voice. And this, what happens when, this, when Jesus does this, when he starts pointing out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and the Pharisees, is they get angry. They get ticked off at Jesus. They realize that what Jesus is doing is upsetting the balance of what's happening because Jesus is trying to flip things upside down. And in fact, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they were the upper echelons of society. They were the ones profiting off of the Roman occupation. They didn't want their whole system that was making them very wealthy and very privileged to be overturned. But that's exactly what Jesus was working at. And so the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they realize they have to get rid of Jesus. And so they start plotting to kill him. Because that is the pattern of the first century, is if someone is causing a problem, if someone starts to encourage the people that we could be more than an oppressed people group, that we could have a freedom in our relationship with God, the pattern that was established was you killed them. And that's what Rome did. Anytime someone fought back against Rome, Rome would execute them. We, when we read the Gospels, we see just the one execution of Jesus and the two criminals on either side of him. But executions were very common in the first century. It was the preferred way of Rome making a spectacle to say, look what happens when you fight against us. Look what happens when you upset the system. No matter how corrupt the system is, if you upset the system, that's how you end up. That's the message Rome kept sending. But the religious leaders, they didn't have the authority to kill Jesus. And so they had to basically paint Pilate into a corner to make Pilate have Jesus executed. But this was part of Jesus' plan all along. Because Jesus knew something that none of the religious leaders knew, that none of the Pharisees knew, that none of the Roman officials knew, is that Jesus himself was the Son of God. Jesus himself was fully divine, fully human, come into the world. And that his death would accomplish something so much more. In fact, if we go to near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount, this long-form teaching that Jesus gave outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus said this at the very beginning of it. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus came to fulfill and accomplish what the law was set out to do so many thousand years before. 
Jesus came to fulfill the intent of the law, to create a group of people that could live justly, that could reveal God to the world around them. That is why Jesus came. And so when Jesus is arrested, when he's brought before the religious leaders in a court that by their own law was illegal, it happened at night. They were forbidden from handling court cases in the darkness of night, but they did it with Jesus. And then they force him over to Pilate, and Pilate tries to pass the buck to Herod, and Herod passes the buck back to Pilate, and none of them want, neither Herod or Pilate, want to kill Jesus. But they realize that they are backed into a corner with no escape. And so Pilate washes his hands and says, no, the responsibility of this is on you, the people. And he orders Jesus to be executed. Jesus' death is the very definition of an unjust execution. He committed no crime. He broke no rules. He was not given the defense that he should have been given. The witnesses against him were all fabricated, but he was still executed for it. But Jesus turned that into something. Jesus turned an unjust execution into an invitation into a relationship with God. This is the gospel message, that Jesus took what was meant for injustice and oppression and turned it into an invitation into a relationship of love and care to be with God. And later on, the author of the letter that we know now in our scriptures that we call Hebrews writes this to describe what Jesus accomplished. He says, For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and his people. God creates a new covenant with humanity through the death of Jesus Christ. And Jesus talked about this in the last evening he had with his disciples when he took the bread and the wine and he said, these are the symbols of a new covenant. But that wasn't all that Jesus achieved because Jesus did something more at the same time. Because three days later after his death, The religious leaders and the Roman rulers, they thought they had dealt with the problem. But then Jesus rises from the grave. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he overturned the oppression and injustice that tried to silence him with death. Let's not make a mistake when we read the gospel that they were trying to silence what God was doing when they executed Jesus. And when he rose and started to appear to his disciples, when he started to show up and and the, the women at the tomb were the first ones to see him, and they didn't recognize him at first, they couldn't believe it. No one expected that Jesus would rise from the grave, even though he told them he would. But what Jesus demonstrated is that the oppression and injustice that put him in the grave would no longer flourish that in this new kingdom that God is creating, that this form of oppression and injustice doesn't fly. This is not how it is supposed to be. But we still live in a world where oppression and injustice are common, are more common than we want to admit. And we talked about that in the first two weeks of this series about how do we start to recognize, to see injustice when it is around us. And James, the half-brother of Jesus who After Jesus' death and resurrection, he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James writes a letter to be distributed to a group of churches. He includes this description in it in James 1, verse 27. 
He says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, let's not get caught up when we see religion at the beginning of that. Because to James at the time, there was no organized religion. It was the body of followers of Jesus. Um, At the time, they went by the name, the followers of the way, because it wasn't about an organized religion. When we see pure and genuine religion, we need to interpret that today by saying pure and genuine practices of faith, pure and genuine discipleship in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows who were two of the most oppressed people groups in the first century. And so James is pointing out saying, if we are following Jesus, these are things we need to care about. And then he includes this line, he says, refusing to let the world corrupt you, refusing to be part of the systems of injustice that are perpetrating in the world at the time. James is laying a foundation for saying, as followers of Jesus, we need to speak against injustice, we need to speak against oppression, that this is part of what it means to receive the gospel, is to focus on that. And so, When we look at this, providing justice for the oppressed is a natural outflow of following Jesus. This is part of what it means to accept God's love and enter into a relationship with him, is to seek justice and to prevent uh, our, our own lives from being corrupted by injustice that is prevalent in our world today. And this is something that the church has had to wrestle with through every century of its existence. And at times, the church has been the perpetrator of injustice. It has been the perpetrator of oppression. And we can't just ignore and wipe those parts out of the history books. We need to actually look at those and say, how did we get there? How did we get to the point where power became so alluring to people of faith that they used it to oppress others? And we need to look at those and recognize the reasons and say, no, we are not going to be corrupted by that same power today. And so I want to end by going to the very first public teaching that Jesus gave that's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And so Jesus at this time has developed a little bit of a following. Maybe people are more curious about him at this point. They don't really know what he's about yet, but he has started traveling and teaching. And Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And it's on the Sabbath, and so like a good Jewish man, he goes to the synagogue And people know he has a reputation as a teacher, as a rabbi already, and so they invite him to deliver the message at the synagogue that week. And so the synagogue attendant hands him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus gets up and he unrolls the scroll, and he goes to Isaiah 61, and he reads these verses out to his hometown synagogue, the people who have known him as he grew up there. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will will set free, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is the declaration that Jesus makes. He reads these two verses, and then he does something that's unexpected. Because as a rabbi, as a teacher, their flow of the synagogue is they would read the scriptures and then the person who read the scriptures would explain it and would deliver a message similar to what I'm doing right now, would deliver a message about it. But Jesus does something different. Jesus rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant and sits down. 
And all eyes on the synagogue looked at him intently. He broke the rules. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to teach about that. But Jesus sits down, and then he looks at them, and he speaks to them, and he says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus makes the declaration that he is the one who the Spirit is upon, that he is the one that is coming to proclaim that the captives will be set free, that the blind will see, to bring good news to the poor. This is what Jesus' ministry is about. And the people in the synagogue, they scratch their heads and they go, no, 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 you're just Joseph's son. You can't be this promised Messiah that Isaiah wrote about that we've been hoping and looking for. You're just Joseph the carpenter's son. And so they ask him about that. And Jesus tells them, he says, think back in your history. Who did Elijah go to when there was famine and drought? Elijah went to the foreigner. And then he then talks about during a time of a great plague of leprosy, who's the one that got healed? It was a foreigner that was healed. And strangely enough, it is not Jesus declaring that the scroll of Isaiah, that that promise applies to him that angers his hometown. What angers his hometown is when he points out examples of when people who were not like them received God's favor and blessing. That's what made them angry, and they wanted to throw Jesus over a cliff, and he escaped from the, cloud, from the crowd and carried on on his journey. See, the gospel message of salvation and redemption in Jesus Christ cannot be separated from Jesus' call to end oppression and injustice. There has been a false dichotomy created in the church that faithful churches can only focus on one of the two. You only care about the gospel or you only care about justice. And that is a lie. That is not true. These two things are deeply interwoven and intertwined. So as followers of Jesus, what do we do? Where do we start when we recognize that this is what Jesus came to do, that this is God's mission in the earth? It is not only to make Jesus' name known, to bring people to salvation, but it is also the ending of injustice and oppression. So what do we do with that? And so like I said at the beginning of this series, we need to start with awareness. We need to start with looking at ourselves and say, what parts of our lives have we turned a blind eye to injustice? Where are we unknowingly or knowingly part of perpetrating injustice? And what are we going to do about those pieces? What changes do we have to make? And change is not easy. Change is difficult. But what changes do we have to make so that we can speak clearly about the gospel? Because as followers of Jesus, we must address injustice if we are to have any credibility when we speak about the gospel and God's love for everyone. Our actions have to match our talk. So how can we do that? What little change do we have to start making now? And so let's start with learning. Let's start with being informed. Let's start with recognizing injustice when it is around us. Because it's only when we recognize it that we can start to address it. And when we address issues of injustice, issues of oppression, issues when people are being unfairly treated when people are denied the justice that they deserve. It is in those moments that our message of God's love and hope 
and go the furthest. And so next week, we are going to be beginning a new series that's going to lead us into Easter. And we're going to come back and we're going to look at this again. We're going to look at Jesus' death and what it accomplished and look at the resurrection and what it accomplished when we get to Easter. But we're going to look at the journey that Jesus was on towards Easter as we do that. So folks, thank you for being here with us online for our our first live broadcast service. Um, Thank you for being here. And uh, next week we will be live again. uh, And this will be our norm moving forward as we move towards opening up in-person services again. So thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a great Sunday. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. Central. To find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.